When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome, everybody, to the Rugby Rant. Sorry we've had some technical difficulties. For those of you that don't know, I'm the big guy, Scott Ferrara. I live in New York. We're in the Nor'easter right now. So uh, you can blame all the technical difficulties on me. We're a little bit late today, but that's okay. We're coming uh, to you on on a nice Wednesday, or hopefully it's nice where you are. Um, we got Rob the, the Hammer Hammer Schmidt. Unfortunately, Ty couldn't be with us today, but uh, I know he'll be watching. And we're doing a special edition of uh, the Run, Pass, or Kick interviews. Um, what we're going to do today is, is Rob, uh, uh, for fans that know, has been kind of just eating all this information about developmental pathways for uh, the Eagles and Rugby Canada. And he set this this special interview up a couple months ago because he's just – he can't get enough of this information, believe it or not. Um, it's literally some of the stuff but besides talking about Nola, he loves talking about developmental pathways. I'm sure it's because his son, you know, plays at Lindenwood. Ding. Ding. Know. Um, but before we before um before we, we start talking about it, first I want to introduce uh Jamie Cudmore. Jamie is currently, uh correct me if I'm wrong, the forwards coach for uh Rugby Canada, right? And the head coach of Rugby Canada's Academy team, correct? That's correct. And also a former Canadian international. And we have David uh, Fee, who is the under-18s USA 7s head coach and former USA Eagle. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. Um, before we get into it real quick, um, I got to tell you guys about our friends at the rugbyshop.com. The holidays are upon us. Kit Miss 2021 happened. I'm still freaking about freaking out about those freaking kits. I, I can't get enough of every all of them. Um, so you can go to rugbyshop.com right now, pre-order your kit. It should still be showing up for Christmas, hopefully, depending on the weather. You know, maybe it might not show up to New York for Christmas, but you know, if you're on the West Coast, you should be fine. Um, they also have a huge discount on all 2020 MLR merchandise. The rugby shop also has custom kits, socks, balls, shorts, and Everything you need for your rugby club uh, for the spring season that's upcoming. They also now have the new murdered out rugby rant gear featuring the hammer tee. Our own Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt designed a great tee um, with every, uh, what is it? It says, uh, Everyone loves a good ruck logo on the front. Uh, quintessential rake marks, which he's shown the picture and told you guys the story before about this picture of Rob with these nice, gnarly rake marks on his back. And is it Preston? Who, who are you yep, holding? Preston. Yep, it's Preston. Hold, holding holding Preston as a, as a little baby in diapers, and he's just giving this wicked smile. Um, so check out everything uh, at the rugby uh, the, the rugby shop.com for all your rugby rant gear. Um, I know the hammer tee is, is a limited time production, so get it while supplies last. Go to the rugby shop.com for all your needs. Again, we're doing um, a, a special RPK. I'm really excited. Rob picked out a whole bunch of questions. So, uh, Rob, take it away. Okay, gentlemen, so tonight is really about development. I think a lot of fans want to know what's going on both uh, uh, on both sides of the border regarding development for the future. And the backdrop behind this before I start the questions is, um, you know, 2027, 2031, uh, 2031, will we potentially see North America play host to a Rugby World Cup? And if so, that gives um, both the Canadian, you know, Rugby Canada and USAR an opportunity to develop the next generation for those campaigns now. And we want to get into talking about what uh, both national team setups are doing in order to prepare for the possibility of such event. So once again, I want to thank you guys for joining and I'm going to open up with a starting question and, and uh, we're going to alternate here. So, um, you know, Jamie, I'm going to give you uh, the chance to answer first um, and then David will follow up. So um, first question, what is one thing that you learned about national team development that was a result of your playing experience on the national team? Um, well, I think, um, you know, looking at the role that I'm in now, being the uh, Canadian development uh, head coach, um, this program was originally uh, started in 1995. It ran till 2005. Uh, I was a, a member of it, as were a lot of uh, past uh, 
past uh, internationals. Um, and then uh, Rugby Canada, unfortunately, um, uh, disbanded the program in 2005. And I think it, there's a there's a pretty close correlation to our uh, our our world rankings and our and our play over the last 10, 15 years uh, because we don't have this pathway. Um, and the fact that we brought it back, uh, you know, about 20 months ago now. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see some really good growth of guys coming through. Um, it's, it's vitally important for us to be, uh, to, to play better at the top level because we have more resources in terms of players coming through. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, before I go to Dave, what's funny is you said that it was disbanded after 2005 and immediately, um, my thought went to the exact thing you talked about, the fact that, you know, Canada's is, uh, results haven't been what they were in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and it sounds like there's, as you said, a direct correlation. So, Dave, talk about your experience. Um, for those that don't know, uh, actually, David and Jamie had played against each other in three um, test matches. So they're playing during the same era. Talk about your experiences, Dave. Yeah, I mean, as a player, obviously, it helped me prepare, you know, to, to get the next level of players uh, ready, right? I mean, that's my job now is to kind of get our U18s to hopefully filter up to that U23 level and then ultimately into our Eagle, you know, into the Eagle jersey. Um, and really, you know, I came on board in May and, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to J.D. Stevenson and Brendan Keene, who are now our high performance, you know, pathway guys who've taken over for, you know, one of my old teammates, Alex Maggleby, who, you know, seems to continue to want to go dominate the rugby world and put his hands in different things and is now with the Free Jacks. Um, but J.D. Stevenson and Brendan Keene, you know, maybe because of COVID, it really allowed us to kind of hit the reset button and, you know, put a, a program and a plan in place. And, um, you know, Jack Clark and Tom Billups, you know, always kind of said, hey, you got to have a plan. And I think these guys have a good one you know, as they've laid out, you know, the, the nomination process and the identification process and then the validation and verification process and, you know, laid out a really good calendar. And so, you know, to, to put a little cap on it is just that, you know, I think JD and uh, Brendan have done a good job of just laying out a plan and a pathway for these guys and for us to kind of, you know, get a good grasp and, and attain them and, and develop them. It, the hairs are standing up on the back of my neck because some of the things that you said, those buzzwords like calendar and plan and development are all things that I want to get into in this interview. So um, let's move forward. Um, one of the things I, and I'm a teacher, again, for those people, those fans that don't know, I'm a teacher by trade. And I've always said that in order for rugby to grow in North America, I feel like there's got to be some level of institutionalization of the game. Uh, so my next question is, what do you think um, the role will be for institutionalization in growing the game in North America? Uh, David, take the question first, and then we'll go to Jamie. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, you know, any, uh, you know, any kid who grew up in America, you know, plays for his school, plays for his, you know, the, the, the team that he represents there. And so I think you use the word institutionalized, and I think it's just something that we're born into. And I think that is something that they have to do a better job of in, you know, what I'd like to see from a planning standpoint is, you know, they ever put a target on it that we need to have, you know, 50 high school programs per state by 2025 and, you know, really put some of those metrics on it and get it into the school. I mean, that's where I'd like to see it get to is to, to put a plan in place to say, Hey, we need X amount in X amount of schools by X amount of date. And then really kind of peel it back and say, hey, you know, were we successful? Yes or no? Why or why not? Yeah, so you, you can't have a plan unless you have goals, right? And and you're talking about actually putting a metric in there that's your goal. Jamie, talk a little bit about, and especially for those of us like me, south the, south the border, who may not know is, or be as familiar with uh, the school system in Canada, uh, talk about institutionalization. Does it play a role or what role do you see it playing moving forward in Rugby Canada's uh, vision for the future? Yeah, well, I, d I definitely agree with David in that, um, you know, it's it's a critical piece to growing rugby in North America. Um, for the moment, we've uh, put in an application for men's 15s rugby to be a part, uh, to, to become a varsity sport here in universities in, in Canada. Uh, we have that designation with women's rugby. 
Um, and I think that's, you know, a, a good part of why the women are so successful. Um, you look at the men's side, um, obviously football is extremely popular as it is down south. Um, so we've got a big, uh, quite a lot of competition uh, between the football programs in that, uh, you know, the football programs are going to want to keep their programs. They want to, you know, keep those athletes because a lot of those athletes are, uh, are, are perfect for rugby. Um, but um, we've, we're in the process right now. So we've put in our application at uh, Canadian Youth Sport so that, uh, that, be, that rugby can become a varsity sport. Um, and we're in the process now, which is actually, unfortunately, takes two years for the process that can go through. So we're in the process now of uh, lobbying the different athletic directors of the major schools um, to include rugby uh, when, uh, when the voting does come down. Um, because uh, it's, as I said, it's critical for us to build forward. Basically, in my role here as an academy manager, if I can add, say, 10 schools, because I think right now we've only probably only got about five or six that have dedicated um, rugby programs with rugby coaches and, and programs building, uh, building out, uh, you know, players. Um, we've, we can get, say, 15 over the next, you know, 10, 10 years. Um, you know, we can we can start punching above our weight because we've got academies, we've got MLR academies, and then you add on the university piece uh, that just makes, uh, you know, creates more resources in terms of players for us uh, at the top level. You know, so, real, real quick, Rob, I just want to interject. One, I find it interesting that there's a two-year uh, time span for, for that process. Um, I guess what, I guess a pro to that is you will definitely have a setup for your goals over two years about how you want to get to get to that vote and, and have it voted in. But secondly, I want to say, you know, down in the United States with the issues USAR is having, you know, MLR teams have stepped up as far as the youth programs have been concerned. And obviously the MLR is incentivizing that, but I mean, we see things now where, you know, in New York uh, with Rooney, the general manager, Stephen Lewis was just going to, to to schools and just having the kids toss the ball around socially distance, cleaning it after every use, I guess in the playground. And I think that's where it starts. Um, I think it starts with flag rugby in the United States on the United States side to get the youth going to then get it into the schools. Um, that's just my two cents. Yeah. And, and you know, just to kind of, you know, add, I think, you know, Jamie and the guys up North have a big advantage, right. And that, you know, I think we do have a lot more American sports to compete with. You know, you talk basketball, football, the seasonality, you know, I believe the Canadian rugby set up for, for the summertime, so it's not competing with their major sport, which is hockey. And then, you know, they get a better chance, I think, to develop their players because we have a lot of our kids who are just ingrained to go to college. And I'm not sure that yeah. that's necessarily the same message up north. And so we don't get a whole lot of chance to continue that development pathway. You know, and you look at the, the size of the countries, right, 350 million people versus 50 million. Um, you know, again, I think they have some nice advantages up there. <laughs> I'm a little envious at times. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mentioned earlier as we started off uh, the interview that there's rumblings that the United States and Canada are, are in talks about uh, pushing for and applying for a rugby Cru World Cup uh, either 2027 or potentially 2031. So my question is, what is your national union doing to identify the next generation of players? Talk about identification. How do you plan identifying you know, what's the, you know, we should talk about a strategy. We should talk about goals. Um, what do you do to try to identify the next generation that could be playing in, in 27 or 31? Um, I think Jamie, go ahead. First. Um, yeah. So uh, basically since I've uh, taken over this role, we've um, uh, we've done a few different things in terms of uh, identifying players. Uh, one, you can see over my shoulder here, uh, this old, database of uh, magnetic names getting moved around the, uh, the the board that's all gone digitized and uh, thanks to Adam Kleberger who is a ex-Canadian international who's uh, also been coaching with us here um, he uh, he runs this database and what he's done or I guess basically what what we've all kind of built is a, a finders and fetchers network across the country so in each province we have our provincial leads, that have finders and fetchers below them, and they populate this list um, uh, um, electronically. So basically, if you've got a player that comes up who's, 
you know, whatever it may be, uh, 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 a kid who's 15 years old, who's fast as hell and plays, starts to play rugby, uh, we can put them on the list. We add video to that. And then the different age grade coaches can go on the database and look for these players and try to try to put a squad together. So you've got the, the metrics, you've got uh, the scouts um, ideas around how this player uh, um, kind of marks up to uh, what we're looking for. Um, and then the provincial leagues, the under 18s, the under 20s, they take that uh, information database, they build out their players. And then us up here in Rugby Canada, we take those guys to then build the national under 18 team, the national under 20 team. And then those guys that are coming through that pathway, um, I, I start to pick uh, the best of the best to be invited here into the Academy uh, here in Victoria. Hey, before, before Dave answers, I just, Jamie, when, when's the last time you played uh, as international in Canada? Myself? Yes. I think my, my last international was in 2016 in, uh, okay. in Grenoble, France. Because I think uh, I think there's word that your name is still on the board up there, uh, looking at kids. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think it is. I, 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 I take that off. Get rid of it. It's in the garden. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did bust Jamie's chops. Go ahead, David. Yeah. Um, again, you know, I mentioned JD and, and Brendan, and, and you know, when I came in in May, you know, I think again they hit the reset button and. Again, knowing we have such a large, vast country, right? They've done a great job, I think, of laying out that process. And what that process is, is, you know, a couple buzzwords of nomination, right? So there's a nomination process that really anybody can be nominated, whether you're self-nominated, whether you're coach nominated, whether you're NDP nominated, you know, whether your girlfriend nominates you, anybody will, will, will be nominated. And as Jamie kind of mentioned, utilizing technology, um, you know, to get these guys into a database. Once they've been nominated, then we need to really identify them and, and sort of validate and verify them. And that's going to be going through what we would consider our, our opportunity days. Um, you know, in a perfect non-COVID world, I think, you know, that we'd like to do maybe 20 of these, you know, th throughout throughout the year, you know, next year, maybe five or 10, um, you know, realistically. But again, hopefully anybody that's nominated can then get filtered to some of these opportunity days. And once they're at these opportunity days, that's where we're able to get good metrics on them you know, height, weight, speed, you know, all that wingspan, good stuff, you know, see how they're able to pass the ball. So then hopefully be invited into a June camp where we'd probably have, you know, our top hundred, you know, U18 players in that camp, um, you know, coming out of, you know, hopefully doing, you know, some type of red, white, and blue game, knowing our calendar the way it is, is they go back to their, you know, schools, you know, August through October. And that's kind of our time to utilize some of these Eagle Eye, Eagle Eye Scouts, some of these NDP programs uh, to keep tabs on these guys and to make sure that, you know, that they're doing the things that we need them to do. And, you know, for me, obviously, I have the World School Championships uh, in New Zealand in December. So it's a true calendar year. Um, and that's kind of what it looks like for me. And, and I know, you know, again, I'm speaking from the U18 level. You know, we don't have any separate track for sevens or 15s. Um, you know, so this is obviously all our, our top you know U18 players, you know, getting funneled through that way. But Again, you know, the nomination process, the identification process, validation, and verification. And, you know, they put these 12 Eagle Eye Scouts now out throughout the country as well, too, to really help, you know, do our job for us. Yeah. And it sounds like um, as we started off the show that both USAR and Rugby Canada have really given a lot more thought to putting a plan in place and started to make some changes as to how they're identifying and developing players. Um, so uh, talk, talk about this and we'll start with Dave. Um, what's one significant change that the USAR has made in developing the next generation of players? Like what has changed that's been the most significant change as you've seen it emerge? And then we'll go to Jamie as well. Yeah, well, the word you use there, Rob, was, again, d development. And, again, that's hard sometimes as a U18 player because our guys go to college. So how do I develop those guys? So I think, you know, when you talk about what's changed is, you know, we have these NDP programs now out there, right? And they cover the heat maps of our hot areas of rugby, you know, there in the Northeast, you know, Southern California, Utah, you know, the loggers up, up in the West. So we have these – NDP programs now in place. And now we have this addition of this Eagle Eye Scouting Network, 
which, you know, I don't think they've announced uh, who they're going to be yet. They're still validating that process, but there's going to be 12 of those guys also out into this, you know, again, if you were to put a heat map on it of where our, our top rugby is being played out there. And then obviously the MLR, right? I mean, you know, you look at Texas, they're going to have Houston, Dallas, and Austin. You know, it's no secret that, uh, you know, our rugby union struggle financially. So we need to utilize these teams, you know, the, the MLRs, these NDP programs, and, and again, let them do the work for us. And it's, it gives us a good opportunity to really collaborate and, and work together, which, you know, I think people would say we probably need to do a better job of. Jamie, what about, what about Rugby Canada? What's one significant change that they've made in this development process that you've seen? Um, well, I think the, the biggest would be uh, the, uh, the rebirth of the Pacific Pride program, the, uh, the academy that I'm now head coach of. Um, we had a, uh, a, an ex-captains meeting, uh, I guess, about three years ago now in Toronto. And we, uh, we looked at, uh, we had a pretty hard look at where we were at and where we needed to be. And um, the, biggest, um, the biggest thing to come out of that was bringing this academy back, uh, back online. Um, so, you know, over the last, uh, year and a half, we've, uh, we've done, we've done very well and we've got a pretty good mix of guys that are kind of 18 to 24 here in the, in the program. Um, everybody has to either work or be in school. And just this past uh, November, uh, we had a three week, uh, national camp and we, I had 15 Academy guys in that camp and three of them were, uh, we're players of the game in, uh, in two of those inter-squad games. So it's crucial that we've got this academy that are pushing these guys up into uh, the under-20s and then into the, into the national team. And um, over the last year and a half, I've had uh, 13 guys go on to uh, MLR contracts as well because the MLR teams realize that we are the only academy of its kind in North America. Um, we normally would have the uh, World Rugby designation, um, but unfortunately, Chris Thompson couldn't come last year because of COVID. But, um, you know, we are the only professional academy uh, in North America right now. So we're very fortunate to have that designation. And, uh, and it's working because uh, the guys are coming through. They're getting picked up in the MLR and they're getting drawn up into the national team uh, as, as Kingsley picked uh, 15 in the last camp. So, um, you know, this is, this is huge for us. We just need to keep building. I think the the big point too that you you just said is as far as the kids have to be in school or working, and that that fits into what's professional rugby right now is is in North America where you know they don't have those big contracts, so most likely you will have to play rugby and work somewhere. So I think you're you're tuning them up to get used to it as a as a kid, so that way they can roll into it easier. One, when they go into university, they know the, what the workload is, and then two, knowing that when I get out, I've now done it since I was you know a, a youth, I know the the way it's supposed to go. So I think that's an integral part of the what you guys are doing in that in that academy. Hey, before we keep getting into some questions, just I want to throw it out. You guys are getting a lot of love out there from some of our fans. We got uh, Tony Ridno watching, uh, former Eagle. He's appreciation of David. And and uh, Jamie's getting a lot of love from up north of the border with uh, with uh, Doug and, and Karen. So we always appreciate our viewers uh, throwing shout-outs to our guests because uh, we know, we know uh, they appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Um, you guys have both talked and touched upon calendars. Without getting into too much detail – let me just throw a scenario. Let's just say that um, your respective unions came to you and said, design for me the perfect calendar that you would need to develop success, you know, the successful program year after year that's going to bear fruit down the road. What are some of the, the highlights of what that calendar would look like? And I'm talking about where would you see your camps? Where would you see your, your competition windows? Um, what would that calendar look like if if you were given a blank check? So give us uh, all your secrets. Give us give give us all your secrets. <laughs> so let's start. I think uh, Fee. I think it's your chance to go to go first, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, again, to, to be honest with you, the, the for me personally, the way that the World Schools is set up in this calendar year, you know, kind of fits right. I mean, it gives me a, a, a true you know calendar year to say at the end of December, you know, we're heading to New Zealand. How then can I backtrack that, right? So January through May is their high school windows, kind of that nomination identification process. We bring them into the, in, into the camps in June. You know, I think July would be a nice competition window. Um, obviously, they're outside of school. You know, we could really plan and prepare for that towards the end of July. Um, then they head back to their schooling, you know, in August and those types of things. 
Um, and then we can really build up, you know, end of October, November into that December camp. So for me personally, just from the sevens level, you know, that calendar year works out well. But I think, you know, again, uh, the July competition window would still be there for the 15th program. Um, again, just knowing our school calendar the way that it is as well, too. Um, I think that fits in, in, in well kind of in that July and then December windows. And Jamie, how about how about you? Are you guys up there in Rugby Canada? Um, well, I, I actually put this together last year, so um, you know, if I if I had had the money and uh, and uh, we would have got that uh, World Rugby support, and uh, we would have. Um, um, my calendar year starts in uh, in uh, in July, um, as that's preseason, and then we move into season uh, end of August, September, and then it finishes in May, June. That's how it's been for me for the last twenty years, and I. You know, when, in New Year's is, is never really a new year. That's just halfway through the rugby season, you know. <laughs> so um, uh, my ideal year would be um, some uh, a good block of preseason. Then we go over to France and uh, or England and get some preseason games uh, with some of the against some of the professional clubs. Come back to Canada, get into uh, McKechnie Cup, which is uh, high performance rugby here on the West Coast, where it would be um, the schools that already have good rugby programs. So you're talking UVic, UBC, um, and then some provincial uh, representative sides, uh, building that into uh, November tests where um, we would be able to maybe go to Europe again and, and play some uh, some A teams or some professional teams that are maybe on down weeks. Um then into the uh, Christmas break where obviously we take a bit of time off and then build it into January where we would uh, be back into another uh, block of preparation going into uh, February where we would uh, try to play a few um, six nation B teams, um, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Georgia, Romania, Germany, um, you know, teams like that. Um, and then finishing off um, with, uh, sorry, and uh, I forgot to mention a few uh, preseason MLR uh, games before February and January and January, early February, especially February now as um, the season's been pushed back. Um, and then going into uh, s- spring summer where uh, we would continue on with the, uh, the internet, sorry, the, um, the university competition and then build into the summer international series. So, um, you know, uh, if, uh, if we got a blank check, uh, let's let's go for everything. And and next year we'll uh, we'll go and uh, and we'll shadow the the Lions as well down in South Africa and play all the uh, South African under twenty one teams. We'll probably get lit up, but that's okay. It'll be a learning experience and it'll be a great cultural experience for the boys. So um, you know, that's kind of uh, that's my uh, that's my gold standard if uh, if we can get that blank check. Listen, I, I think I've told this a million times on the show already. First rugby match I ever played got gonged 106 to nothing. So, you know, it happens. Yeah, well, you, you definitely, I think, you know, the, if you want a team to excel, they've got to they've got to experience loss and they've got to experience trials and tribulations. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do you work through that men- mentally and physically in order to develop, become better and learn from it? Um, so without a doubt, important piece. Uh, it's interesting. Both of you guys mentioned the MLR uh, within the last couple of questions. And what's interesting, and a lot of fans pick up on this, um, that there's a little different model going on. Obviously, with only one team in Canada right now, Toronto Arrows, we hope that there's another team that's going to be a little closer out there to in BC, uh, Jamie. Um, there's a little different model going on there, a pretty close tie and connection between Toronto and Rugby Canada. Of course, Bill Webb, the owner, is on the board of directors for Rugby Canada. A little different down here. Obviously, many more teams in MLR, um, but uh, the, the, the connection with, that development piece that David talked about is a little bit different. So my next question is built around this. Uh, what So what role do you believe the MLR should play in the development of young players? And Jamie, I think it's your turn to go first. So I'll give you crack. Um, no, I, I think, uh, you know, the MLR is already, the teams that I've been in, in contact with are already uh, very open about uh, bringing in uh, talent from, uh, from the States and from Canada. And I think that's great. Focusing on um, homegrown talent, which is in North America, is uh, really what we want to get to to help build the game uh, throughout uh, throughout the two countries. Um, as I said, I've got uh, quite a few of my boys that have gone down or are going down this year, and um, and also it, it works great for international rugby because it doesn't um, it doesn't uh, interfere with any international windows. So 
to me, like we just need to keep building with the MLR and, um, you know, keep getting these, uh, these young athletes uh, playing a good standard. And, um, you know, as, as we know, the standard wasn't that great, but every year I see great progression. So I'm really excited about the, uh, the MLR and, and the fact that it's, it's growing uh, rugby in North America. And like uh, you talked about earlier, Scott, that, that grassroots piece, if you can get more kids playing at a young, level, young age and then they start to see that there's a professional opportunity at the end, well, that's going to make more people play naturally. So if you get the high school piece, you get the university piece, you get academies across uh, our, our two great countries, and then building into an MLR, well, I think we're, uh, with it, then we're cooking with gas. And then hopefully when we do get a World Cup, maybe 2027, maybe 31, then we can start uh, knocking off some of the big boys and change the global landscape. Absolutely. Dave, what about from your perspective as a coach here in the United States? What do you see the role of the MLR being in the development of the next generation? Well, I mean, I think the, the MLR uh, is, has been great. You know, I'm a big fan of it. I'm excited to see it grow. Hopefully we can get a team here in Chicago uh, some, sometime soon. But, uh, you know, and, and, and their, their goal is a business, right? I mean, I mean, they want to grow as a business. And I think it's only going to naturally feed that, you know, you have the Free Jacks Academy already. You, you have the San Diego Legion Academy. I mean, they're going to want to benefit themselves. And so I think it's in their own best interest to have a, feeder program you know i know there's other programs that kind of act as that now obviously with rooney you have nyack you know blue kind of filtering in i know the the chicago lions have kind of been new orleans north you know for the fall season and then they send them down there you know in the spring and so i think they're naturally going to have their own academy and pathway teams and it's going to you know a rising tide raises all ships right i mean it's going to grow the level of their programs it's going to help you know, me do my job because they're finding better talent. They're getting better coach. They're getting better opportunities. I mean, Jamie nailed it. It's just great for all of uh, rugby in North America. So I think they do have a very important role in it. And you mentioned that they have an incentive to, to grow as well, too, financially. Um, so, again, they're a business, and that's probably their first goal. But I think it behooves them, and, you know, we'll, we'll ride those coattails all the way. And, you know, as far as my knowledge, I think out of the 13 teams, 12 of them hit that incentive mark already in 2020, believe it or not, even with all the COVID restrictions. And it's funny you mentioned that the feeder teams and the pathways and the academies already set up because now there's news of this Hartford Harpooners team that looks like it's going to be an independent academy team outside of a, a, a franchise that's looking to play all the other academy teams being set up by these these MLR teams. So it's already spreading beyond the MLR based on the, just a little amount of work the MLR has done to create these pathways. I just find it interesting. So my, my next question, all right, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, dip into your Christmas gift uh, uh, idea here. Um, and uh, let's just say Santa gave you an unlimited bundle of cash for Christmas right? And left it on your doorstep. Um, so I'm going to start with Dave. What's one thing that you would do if you had unlimited amount of resources, a limited amount of cash? What's one thing that you would do to improve the national program in the United States? One thing, one, one thing, um, you know, I, I think it's easy to say that we need more competitions, right? So we can fly all over the world. We can stay wherever we want. We can go wherever we want. So we get more high-level competitions. You know, that, that, that's probably what we ultimately need the most. But, man, I'd love additional coaches, additional GPS units, additional strength and conditioning guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, 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 that list is long as a North American uh, rugby coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, more high level competitions for the players to compete in. And again, that requires travel and meals and, and everything. So it's a high dollar amount that, you know, we're limited to, and it's probably why we play, you know, uh, Canada so much, you know, cause they're so close. Okay. J Jamie, S Santa left a bundle of cash under your tree. Um, so I definitely agree with Dave, um, you know, on the top side of things to, uh, you know, have more money to move, to move around and, uh, and get that high level competition. Um, but uh, I think I put my money into the grassroots and more importantly, I put the money into grassroots coaching. Um, you know, I've, I see a lot of, uh, you know, well-meaning parents, coaches, you know, administrators at the, at the grassroots level, clubs, high schools, um, you know, community um, sports organizations. Um, but unfortunately, the coaching isn't there. I see a lot of people running into bags, uh, not working on that catch pass, not working on kids trying to find space um, and really just have fun. You know, you threw it forward. Don't worry about it. Just keep moving. 
um, because the modern game is is catch pass based. It's speed based. It's doing things repeatedly at a high rate of speed. Um, and, you know, kids love that because they're running around, they're bumping into their buddies, they're they're burning their 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 pals on the outside. And if we can get more coaches to promote that, um, that's where I put the money. I put the money in from a national entity. I'd have um, uh, provincial leads going all across the country or state leads going all across the country and doing um, grassroots coaching courses to promote an open uh, speed-based, skill-based uh, game. And because that in turn will just grow the quality of the game across uh, our two great countries. So if we go from the bottom up, as opposed to, to the top down, I think we'll get a lot more in the uh, in the future in terms of return. You know, J- Jamie's hitting like a bunch of points on the head, and I think he's right about the way. Um, I think a lot of you know, like he said, a lot of guys want to come out and help and be a youth coach because their kids going to play, and then they're training them the way they played rugby twenty years ago. Um, and that's not to say you know that just means they might not have the knowledge of what's going on today, and that's that's fine because you want parents to be involved and to coach. But I think you're right. I mean, that's what we do. And I coach youth football down here in, the, in New York. And one of the things we do is we look at what colleges are doing. We look at what the NFL is doing, you know, and we say we're trying to teach kids basics so that they can play that level or that style of football when they go into high school. Cause we know that's what the high school is going to trickle down to the high schools. And we, we have to amend the way we coach and, and our strategies and, and our play calling based upon what's actually going on and not what, you know, back when I played when everybody ran a wing tee and a you know triple option in football. Nobody does that now except for, you know, Army. So, you know, you got to adapt. And I think the knowledge might not be there, but maybe it's just a simple thing of, you know, creating a database for coaches that's free that has this knowledge and say, hey, this is the general idea of what we're doing on the international team right now, you know, take a look. These are the basics you can run in. And maybe it's just something as simple as a free database that a youth coach can, can use at this point, um, considering we don't have that Santa money. Um, but before we go any further, I just want to say that support for the rugby rant is brought to you by manscaped. You guys know it. It's manscaped time. Manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision and precision engineered tools, for your family jewels. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the latest ball hair trimmer and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. It's now available in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa. It's been out here for a while in North America. So if you don't have one already in North America, I don't know what you guys are waiting for. Their third generation trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blades, which helps you reduce those accidents downstairs when you're grooming. Make sure your testies look their besties. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RugbyRant at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the code RugbyRant and your balls will thank you. Jamie, you looked like you wanted to add something there at the tail end. Uh, give it a shot, then I want to follow up here with a, a, another piece. No, it was an off. It was an off-color comment around the commercial. <laughs> I probably keep that to myself. <laughs> keep, keeping that job intact, baby. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's funny, uh, Jamie. You hit you hit on that piece about just throw the ball around, keep moving, even if you knock it on, or even if it's a forward pass, just continue to play. David, uh, if you could touch upon that real quick, it, it echoes of the very conversation we had about two weeks ago uh, at a local establishment when you and I sit down and had a nice chat. Uh, talk about, you know, you know, the coaching end of it and, and what you guys want to see out of your coaches, uh, just as, as Jamie uh, spoke about. First of all, I'd like to say you probably guys, you guys probably had more than a chat. So, you know, <laughs> don't lie about it. I'm a school teacher, so I got to be careful here. Thanks, Scott. Um, as Scott said that, uh, so, so repeat the question there for me, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking at, at, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I so Jamie was on it. Yep. So, so we talked about ball and play, you know, and I, th- I think that's a lot of it is getting these guys doing it at, at a high speed, you know, uh, you know, the sleeping giant, right? I mean, we, we have guys who are big, we have guys who are strong, but we've really got to know what we're looking at. Right. And I, and I know again, from the sevens standpoint, right. I mean, you know, it's, it's seven minutes of ball and play in that 14 minute game and and 20 possessions per game and, you know, basically 10 per team. So how do you slide one, one way or another? And, and I think, you know, Jamie kind of hit on it with the ball and play, you know, we can guys moving, we need guys, you know, making decisions with the ball in hand. I, I think we'll, we'll get the set piece stuff, but keeping them moving and doing it at a high level and repetition 
is what's going to get it done. Absolutely. And that's one of the things is, you know, perhaps one of the reasons why I've been so interested in this development approach is the coaching philosophy. I always hated standing around talking to the kids for 15 minutes, trying to explain something, you know, get them on the field, get them working, get them doing it, use ball work as a part of your fitness. If they're always moving, they're getting their fitness in with uh, whatever skills they're working on. Um, so we're going to we're going to take a break from our development approach now and we're going to put uh these two gentlemen to the test. It's it's north versus south, south versus north and uh from what I learned from David and was reaffirmed by uh as Karen uh Gasparino calls you cuddles. I I I don't know if that was a legitimate nickname or not, but um I don't know, hopefully you won't come down here and kick my ass. Um <laughs> So uh you guys were were uh Jamie has the edge against David two to one uh, when they played each other in test match. So th- this is an opportunity for David to even it up. We're going to have five questions, trivia questions, USA versus Canada. And uh, we've asked the gentleman here just to have a pen and piece of paper and they can flash up and tell us what uh, their answer is. And, and Scott, if you can keep score, uh, that would help me because um, I, I, I have a very short attention span and get, and get distracted easily. So I'm sure I'll forget to keep track of the score. So, <laughs> We're going to start with our first question here, if you guys are ready. Um, and we'll just give it, you know, uh, five or so seconds uh, for you to write down your answer. Uh, we're going to start off easy. Not going to test you too much with the first one. In which World Cup did your country first appear? Did we first what? Make an appearance. What was your first World Cup appearance as a nation? So when did the USA play in its first World Cup? When did Canada play in its first World Cup? All right, we ready? I flash him up there, Jets. Dave has 1981. Is that right? 87. 87. And Jamie? 87. 87. All right. They each get a point. And Rob, you need glasses, you old man. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Glasses and a hearing aid, my friend. Just ask my wife. Um, All right. All right. Our next question. Here we go. Uh, Who has the record for the most tries? in your nation's history in 15s. We just need a name. Most tries in your nation's history. Against each other or for our country? No, no, it's total. Uh, just in total, total, total. Total tries. Dave does not know this one. <laughs> what do we got there? Now Scott needs his glasses. No, uh, no uh, uh, Jamie's no. And What's Jamie's answer? Oh no, it's and not. Dave got it right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, the, okay, so it's two to one. Viana Tony is correct for David. Yes, so we got yeah. it's two to one. Goes to uh, USA. Yeah, as right. Jamie said, it's it's actually DTH is the the uh, tri leader for K- uh, rugby. I was, I, funny enough, I was at the game and it, it, there was the big hoopla and when Dave threw me by saying he had Winston Stanley's jersey and I was like, hold on, it's like he used to be the tri scorer. <laughs> and then, no, I'm wrong. So. <laughs> well, Jamie, that's because we, we played in the day when they only played three tests a year, you know, so it was tough for Winston yeah, to get that's true. games. <laughs> right. That's true. So, yeah, Bayana Tony with 26 and DTH with 38. Um, so uh, the next question. All right, here we go. Who has the most caps for your counterparts 15's history? So, in other words, uh, Dave, who has – the most caps of any Canadian international in 15s. Jamie, who has the most caps as a USA international in 15s? Let's see it. Al Sharon is David's answer. And uh, Jamie, what do you got? Oh, it has to be a back. Oh, Jesus. Is it Bland? Nope. So no, no points. It's uh, Todd Clever for the United States and uh, Aaron Carpenter for Canada. Oh, no, no. I know. I know. I thought you meant it was our opposite number. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm saying Todd Clever for the United States. You were wrong. No, no. He thought it was another. Oh, oh, oh. That's why I said it where. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, did, I misunderstood <laughs> the question. But now he's going to play. Now he's going to play the, oh, you guys are speaking American thing. I lost. That's fine. <laughs> Listen, you, you both got it wrong. So no harm, no foul. Dave is still, uh, Dave is still up two to one. Okay. Um, so we're talking overall, all of the nation's history, not you guys against each other. We know it's two to one in favor of uh, the Canadians. Um, so uh, who, ha- sorry, 
who has a better head-to-head record, uh, the USA or Canada? Bonus point if you guys already yeah. know the record. Right. Canada. Canada. And, right. and, and any the, any the, idea on how many wins you guys have? You want the percentage? No, the it's, number of wins. It's Canada. I think it's like 62 to 35, but we've won the last several. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the numbers were way off. Both of you guys get a yeah. point. So Dave, Dave is up yeah, three. 40, okay. 43 to 28 or something like that. You were close. Actually, you were actually you were pretty close. Uh USA 22, Canada 38, and two ties. Two ties. There you go. Yeah. So Jamie was close on the numbers. There you go. And so uh the last one here. Um, again, we started off the episode. I talked a little bit about the fact that you two that both of you had your first caps within a week of one another. And um, Jamie, you came on uh, for Al Sharon actually as a sub in your first cap match, uh, which was here in Chicago. Dave was on the field. I was at the match. Um, so so it's particularly uh, exciting for me. Um, here's what I want to know. What was the final score of the match and who won? Here, I'm going to put a caveat. Dave can't answer. So if Jamie gets it, he ties it up. If not, he loses. So only Jamie can answer. <laughs> so we won. So there Dave's got to write it down. He's got to have an answer ready. Go ahead, Jamie. Well, we won, but I don't remember the score. So, oh. All lose. right, Dave, do you remember the score at all? So this is the Chicago game. Yeah. Yep. 24. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the Canada game. No, I, I, let's say they, they won uh, – 31-13. Close. They won 36-13. Good. That was close. That was pretty good. Who so give Dave, I, I mean, Dave, officially Dave Dave has won it, so he's tied up the, the, the record here 2-2. So I guess we're going to have to have him back on uh, right. in a couple of months to, to do the, the, you know, settle it for real. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm sure Jamie will take his two on-field wins uh, more than that one. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. All right, one last question, um, and and we're going to feed right into the actually uh, the episode, the rant episode that will be dropping on Sunday that we're recording tonight. This question comes straight from that. Uh, the Rugby World Cup 2023 pools were released this week, uh, and we know that there's a unique qualifier this go-round for the United States and Canada. They will play each other in a head-to-head uh, to see who's, uh, you know, uh, North America one, North America two. Um, so here's the question. Would you rather play in pool A uh, with, you know, the New Zealand, France, Italy, Africa one, or would you rather play in pool D against England, Japan, Argentina, and Oceania one? So uh, who, I think, uh, Jamie, you're going to go first on this one, and then uh, David, you'll get uh, the last say of things. Um, it doesn't matter to me as long as we don't have to go through the repetrage again. <laughs> fair, fair enough. But if, but I mean, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, head to head America's one America two, which one would you rather be in? Would you rather play in pool, pool, uh, A or D? I like to play in pool A just kind of selfishly. Cause I get to uh, compete against, uh, some of my old teammates and, uh, and coaching adversaries with the, with the French team. Um, you know, Kareem Gazelle is a Ford coach uh, with France. We played together uh, for years in, in, in France, and it'd, it'd be nice to just go head-to-head, have a bit of competition there. Um, but, um, you know, if we, uh, if we have to get into uh, the World Cup in, uh, in Pool D, well, you know, by all means, we'll, uh, we'll take it. Because, as I said, uh, I don't want to go through the repressions again. Amen to that. Uh, David, your thoughts, Pool A or Pool D? You know, I think if you're looking at at, at a win, um, you know, you're probably maybe looking at that pool lake because you're looking at that Africa, you know, team that could be, you know, Namibia, some, some Namibia or Kenya. Um, you know, I think e- either way, it's a lesser of two evils. You know, on the other side, you look at Japan and Argentina and, you know, they're obviously pretty strong and, you know, who knows what kind of depth they have, but then it's probably Tonga out of there. Um, so I think if you're looking, if you're targeting a World Cup win, which are few and far between and uh, you know, lucky enough to have one in 2003, um, you know, I think you're looking at that pool A in Namibia. Speaking of 2003, 
show this off right here. I just picked this up, signed by none other than David P and his teammates. So uh, thanks for throwing the shout out that way. Um, and, and that is Rob's segment of all this rugby crap I buy that my wife doesn't know about. <laughs> Hopefully she's not watching. <laughs> guys, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. This is it's been refreshing to to talk to you guys and and do do a little something different and talk about um, developmenting uh, the developing um, the United States and rugby Canada as far as rugby players. I mean, we we talk about it on the MLR side a lot. Um, we talk about it on the national teams a lot. But to actually have guys who represent the national teams here, um, it, it's great. It's uh, you have guys have great insight. Um, you guys explain it well, which is why you're great coaches. Um, you really boil it down to you know that that little piece that, that people need to know. Um, so on behalf of the rugby rant guys, I just wanted to thank you so much. Um, if you guys have anything to say, now's your time. Give some shout outs. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take advantage of that. If I can, you know, obviously, you know, Alex Corpusero and, uh, you know, my old teammate, uh, Lou Stanfield are battling, uh, uh, you know, the big C and, you know, I want to wish those guys, you know, the best as they battle. I'm sure there's a lot of long, there's a long list of people doing that as well. And uh, also, you know, thoughts and prayers right now to the Zach Plants family, one of my former players at the University of Notre Dame, who was uh, taken a little tragically uh, on Thanksgiving. So my thoughts are with them, and uh, we're all looking forward to a better, brighter 2021. Thank you. Jamie, any shout-outs or anything you want to make here uh, as we exit? No, no shout-outs. I'll definitely um, uh, piggyback off Dave's uh, comments for, uh, for Lou and, uh, and Alex. You know, I had some uh, great com- competition, uh, definitely against Lou, Canada, United States, and then uh, Alex when he played for Northampton over in Europe in the, some of the uh, Champions Cup games. Um, and, uh, you know, it's never never easy going through something uh, as, as difficult as cancer. So um, I'll definitely uh, send our support and, and, and love through. And, um, you know, just uh, happy happy to be on the pod and uh, share and chat chat rugby with you boys and uh, thank you very much for having me and I uh, wish everybody uh, happy holidays. Yeah, you guys do a great job. Thank you. We appreciate it. You know, um, it's funny. You guys were, were talking. You said something before we got on about like you know, oh, it's it's we're we're pushing forward. You know, kind of this this rugby sentiment. And I never thought. Um, I don't know if Rob has the same feeling, but I never thought I'd be a guy that to do this and, and get involved as, as much as I have. So I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys coming on the show again. It's the big guy. It's the end of our RPK. Um, so for the big guy, Scott Farrar for Rob, the hammer hammer Schmidt and our buddy Ty Braga, who couldn't be here. Um, thanks for watching the show and we'll see you next week. Thanks gentlemen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.